Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. So last week, we began talking about poisons of the mind, things that we do to ourselves to hurt ourselves, damage ourselves, uh, weaken our resolve, uh, rob us of joy. And we, we administer to our we, we administer to ourselves. We don't, we do it. We talked about the poisons of the past, present, and future, regret, complaint, and worry. And and today we are going to talk about uh, the poisons of condemnation. Now mind you, the poison is something that it, it, it damages, it hurts, it makes us sick, it makes us weak, it can even kill us. And so these are the poisons of condemnation. Condemnation, that's a big word. It is to sentence for punishment. That's what condemnation is. The Bible uses the word condemnation. It also uses the word judge. You've heard the term, judge not lest you be judged. And people will miss. Uh, misquote that in an attempt to, you know, keep anybody from saying that anything they're doing is wrong. Oh, judge not. Don't judge me. I saw one guy with a t-shirt that said, only God can judge me. And while I agree with that, I, I have a feeling he didn't mean it the way it's supposed to be meant. <clears throat> We when we talk about judging or condemnation, we in the world we see it a lot with 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 curses, telling somebody to go to hell. That that's a condemnation. You are wishing hell upon them. Uh, if you, you people using the f word, you know, say f you, that you're wishing rape upon that person. That's what we're talking about with condemnation. And, and today we're going to talk about three forms of condemnation. One is bitterness, one is criticism, and the other is self-pity. <clears throat> Starting with bitterness, when I was in third grade, I had a principal that, for some reason, didn't like me. Now, I know we might say, Pastor Darrell, as kids, we always thought some teacher or principal or some authority figure didn't like me uh, because, you know, <clears throat> you know they, they held me accountable or they made me do my schoolwork or they gave me a bad grade because I didn't uh, follow through with what I was supposed to do. But this guy, even today, I still think, he had a thing where he wanted to get me in trouble. Why do you say that? Well, first off, one day my, my, uh, the principal called my dad into, into his office uh, because 
suddenly I was an entire day behind in my schoolwork. This was I went to what's called an ACE school, where you filled out workbooks for schoolwork. <clears throat> so each child did the school on their own, and if they needed help, they called a teacher over to explain something to the child. But you pretty much did on it. It was a terrible school system. I still think it is. And, and whoever listening, if you disagree with that, I'm sorry. That's just my own opinion. Yes, Robert. Uh, a Christian education, academic Christian, something like that. Oh, accelerated Christian education, maybe. <clears throat> so, so suddenly I was an entire day behind on everything. And I was going to get in trouble for it. And my dad started asking questions because it seemed really odd that suddenly, just like that, I was a day behind. So I began asking questions, and he insisted on looking at the school's logbooks. And he discovered that we recently had a holiday, and every other student was updated to account for that day, except for me. And so the principal was like, oh, Okay, no apology, nothing. They just that was over, and I thought, okay, it's over now. Well, maybe that's when it started. Maybe I got embarrassed that my dad found an error. But not long after that, I kind of had a <clears throat> had a bad day, I'm off, and because every day we were supposed to do so many pages in our workbooks. And uh, I didn't do my set goal for any of my, 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 my subjects. Like every hour, you're supposed to do a different subject. And so I, I you know, maybe it was four pages per subject, and, and I only did two or three. Not quite four. Didn't quite complete four on any of my Normally, like whatever you don't finish that day, you take home for homework. That's what you do. But they had a policy where if at the end of the day you didn't complete your goal, you got a demerit. Well, five demerits is swats. You get ten swats. And guess how many subjects I had? Five. So I'm actually meant ten swats. And, and my parents fought it. They took me out of school for a while while they fought it. But they, they finally felt like that he had them over a barrel because it was halfway through the spring semester and they didn't feel like they could easily just put me in another school. You know, how would I do that? So they took me back to school and they capitulated and, and he administered the swats to me. And he had me lean over a chair, my hands on a chair, and the first swat, he hit me so hard, I flew over the chair and hit the ground. And that was SWAT number one. After he was finally finished, he was happy. And I hated him. And in fact, the rest of that semester that I stayed there, I made it my business to make his life miserable. I would do everything I could to complicate life for him. I even remember 
accidentally, you know, causing a, another teacher, one of the teacher's problems that I didn't have a problem with, but caused her problems. And she was like, why, why did you do it? Why would you lie? And my thought was, you know, I felt bad about it. I didn't want her to cause her problems too. But I saw it as collateral damage because I saw myself as at war. I was at war with this principal. And so I left the school. And, and as I grew up, a seed of bitterness that had been planted that day began to grow. And as I got older and grew stronger, I would fantasize about meeting him in a dark alley with a baseball bat. Just fantasize about it. I lay in bed at night and just dream about the pain I would inflict upon him. In fact, fantasies of revenge is a sign of bitterness. That's a clear sign that you're bitter about something. If you are dreaming about enacting revenge on somebody. There were, I had a problem in my heart. And it was causing, it was poisoning my life. Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it says, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So we're, we're encouraged, we're told to, to put off bitterness from our life. It doesn't belong there for the Christian. Someone once said that bitterness is poisoning yourself to spite your enemy. You're drinking poison to hurt your enemy. I believe that's true. And you know bitterness doesn't have to be overt like that. It can be a hidden bitterness. You may not even be aware of it. I, I know I haven't been always. I had a, a co-worker years ago who did something to me um, that was wrong. And and years late, the years went by and I actually had no clue that I still had feelings of bitterness towards that person until actually just a, a month or two ago, he came up on my Facebook and he asked me to be his friend on Facebook. And my first reaction was, yeah, right. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's that all about? And like David, I talked to myself. Why are you bitter? Why are you still bitter? You haven't forgiven. So it can it can be it can be under the under the uh, the radar sometimes, and and we may not even be aware of it. Did you know bitterness leads to anxiety? Can lead to anxiety and depression. And that's not 
my thoughts and ideas. That's the most recent psychology journals I was reading up on. These anxiety and depression, it damages us emotionally. And spiritually, there's a spiritual cost too, a very significant one. We can find in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. You see, bitterness can cost us forgiveness from God. Yes, Robert. I'm gonna. I'm actually talking about that. So hang on. Get ready. It costs us forgiveness from God. Now, what's the answer? So far, with each of these toxic thoughts, I've I've presented an antidote. An attitude or behavior that counteracts and helps heal from uh, this uh, poisonous thought. And in, in this case, you probably already figured out what the antidote is. Can anybody tell me what the antidote for bitterness is? Forgiveness, right. Now, a few things about forgiveness. First off... <clears throat> Forgiveness is not dismissive of the cost. If there's something to forgive, then it costs you something. It costs you financially. It costs you maybe your innocence. It costs you emotionally. It costs you spiritually. Maybe it costs your mental health. It harmed you, it injured you in some way, and forgiveness is not dismissive of that. In fact, we're told when somebody asks for forgiveness, don't just respond, it's okay. It's actually not okay. A better response is, I forgive you. In fact, I um, I wish I kept it. There was years ago, there was... Um, a trial, a murder trial, a guy who had killed a woman's son and the woman, the mother came up and, and she had her chance to speak to the man who was convicted of this murder. And she started out talking about the cost of what he did. But then she said, I forgive you and I love you. There's, there's nothing, it's not dismissive at all. Forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is also not trust. You don't, you, you forgive, but you don't have to automatically trust somebody. That takes time. They have to earn the trust. It's okay to protect yourself. I had one friend whose, whose wife, uh, had left him and wanted to come back home, and and she, but she and he was concerned though he wanted to forgive her, but he was concerned because 
She had been involved in drugs, and, and he didn't really trust her. And I said, that's perfectly fine. She can come back home, but there's going to be some rules that she needed to abide by. She, at first, she wasn't allowed to be with the kids by herself. At first, she wasn't given access to their finances. And now, more than a decade later, they're doing fine. What happened? She earned that trust back. And as far as I know, the couple has a strong marriage. And I praise the Lord for that. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Good. <clears throat> Forgiveness is work. Forgiveness doesn't need to be... Sometimes with little ones, the real hurts... Forgiveness is work, and it, and it may need to be done over and over again. I remember years ago, this, this man did a horrible thing. He, 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 in cold blood, he killed some innocent Amish girls in a schoolhouse. And, and a news reporter asked the, one of the mothers, how can you forgive this man? And she said, oh, it's every day, and sometimes multiple times a day. It's work. I have people, you know, Pastor Daryl, how can I, this bad thing happened in my past, how can I forgive? I, I don't feel like I can. I say, well, then you go to God and say, God, I can't do it. I need your help. And by the way, that rule applies to everything in your life. There's something in your life you feel like, I know I'm supposed to do, but I just can't do it. You say, God, I can't do it. I'm weak. I need your help. And God, it's been my experience that God every single time will provide the help you need. A final thought on, on forgiveness, real forgiveness. There's something almost magical about it because it heals like nothing else. This restores. Remember years ago and in, in sitting uh, in a, I think it was a camp meeting. It was a camp meeting. They had an afternoon service. The guy preached on forgiveness and there weren't very many people, very many, very many people uh, in the service. Uh, the afternoon services were usually fewer people. But I remember Missy and I stood up and we went to walk down the aisle and I looked at the back of the sanctuary and, and I think it was in the back pew, there was a young couple there. And they were both just sitting there holding each other and crying. And I thought something important just happened. Something just got restored. Something just got fixed. <clears throat> Second poison of condemnation is criticism. And I need to get going. It's already 20 minutes in. Luke chapter 6.
Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do, ju- do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. <clears throat> um, I mentioned that, that verse already. I referred to it in my introduction. Reminder, this is, we're not talking about correction. But God expects us to correct our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't correct a sinner. I preach the gospel to a sinner. Because if I try to correct a sinner, it's like throwing, giving pearls to pigs, right? They don't appreciate it. It doesn't mean nothing, anything to them. And there's no value in it. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we have responsibility to one another to correct each other. If, if you see there's something sinful in my heart and my life, I hope you're a friend enough to speak up. But something I was just talking about, we're not, criticism is not correction. Criticism is different. It's an attack. It's, a, it's, it's you know, <clears throat> this critical spirit you know, this you see something in somebody that doesn't line up with your expectations, whether it's even a biblical standard or or maybe this is something different, or you don't like their attitude, or, or you don't like the words they use. Um, you you have this critical, this disparaging, downgrading, hostile attitude towards them. That's what we're talking about criticism. And mature Christians are not immune. It is easy to fall into a critical spirit no matter how long you've walked with God and may even be more susceptible to it as you walk with God because pride begins to build up. You start thinking, well, I've got it all figured out. And you start losing patience and and having no, uh, no charity for others. We see criticism in the form of gossip. Sometimes just outright gossip. I, you know, I'd hear preachers' wives just, you know, talking about so and so, and 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 can you believe so and so did this, or I heard so and so did that. They don't even hide it. And some others are a little more under the radar. I've heard it. I've heard criticism in the form of prayer requests. Please pray for so-and-so. He's really got a bad attitude. Criticism hurts us. It hurts us, the one who's doing the criticizing, because we think we're we're better than we really are. It, It feeds our pride. And that puts us in a very bad place with God. It also hurts others. The person being criticized, they find out it, it discourages them. They feel attacked. They feel like, well, I thought this person was my friend.
Did you know that no one looks up to a criticizer? No one. Someone who, who criticizes, constantly criticizes people around them. No one says, well, that's the kind of person I want to be. Nope. It's actually a good uh, measure for any behavior in your life. If there's a behavior in your life that you question, if you imagine somebody who does it all the time, so imagine this person, complete, complete construction of your own creative thoughts. And think, man, would I look up to this person or would I want to shy away from this person? If the case is, no, I, I don't want to be like that person at all, you might want to remove that behavior or attitude from your life. <clears throat> the critical person targets a lot of different things in his life. They can target can be your job. People, I've heard people are so critical about their job. I recently heard of a young woman who was so critical about her job, she had to get out of Facebook because her employers were watching her Facebook. And I've, I've seen people like that on, on social media. And, they, and even at work, you know, they just hate going to work every day. They hate it there. People are, you see people critical about where they might live. And Clovis, I see that a lot. A lot of military people. Boy, they hate Clovis. Hate being here. It's terrible here. <clears throat> Missy and I were a little uncertain about Clovis before we moved here. Because the only videos on Clovis were people who hated Clovis. And so they only recorded the worst parts of town. So that's what, that was our first introduction to Clovis. All the rundown buildings. And, and I was like, wow, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Had no clue that it was a lot better than it really than they were making it out to be. <clears throat> I you hate. Not just maybe the location, but maybe the house they live in. Oh, I hate it here. And, and, and like I said before, criticism, walking with God for decades doesn't make you immune. I was with a, 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 um, an old preacher, someone who preached for decades and, and followed God for decades. And, and, and they had this nice little house. It was in good shape. It was warm in the winter and cool in the summer. They had all the space they needed. It was just the two of them, and they had three rooms, and and uh, I think three rooms, um, and plenty of living space. And and the husband was just very unhappy with their house, um, and didn't see anything wrong with expressing his unhappiness. It was a critical attitude. <clears throat> But most often, criticism is leveled at people. 
And I found that Christians I, 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 I tend to be more guilty of this than sinners. Maybe it's maybe it's a, it might be, the answer might be complex or it might be as simple as sinners don't want anybody criticizing their behavior, so they're less likely to criticize others. But I found Christians to be more critical. Um, I was uh, very surprised that you know as, after God sanctified me and I I began. Uh, they asked me to be an assistant pastor, and so I began working with other churches and other pastors. And I, I figured out very quickly that it was hard, it was difficult to resolve things. And I'm not even talking about conflict. I'm just talking about something needs to be fixed, and we need to work together to do it. But there, it was more difficult because everybody was afraid of hurting everybody else's feelings. They were walking on eggshells. They were afraid to say what needed to be. Not, I'm not saying to say things mean. I'm just talking about telling the truth. Tell it with love. This thing to be fixed. Oh, no, we can't do that. We can't. We might hurt this person or that person. They might get mad at me. We're also often critical of ourselves. I have been guilty of telling somebody, telling a guy, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. What were you thinking? And I was talking to myself. Things I would never say to anybody else, I'm okay with saying to myself, that's not right. We should not be critical toward ourselves. The antidote to a critical spirit is love. First Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Also sounds like that helps with bitterness, doesn't it? Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. That's something critical people love finding fault in others. They get a certain joy out of it. We need God's love in our life. Life is much better when we, we put off criticism and put on love. Back in Florida, there was I, 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 as an assistant pastor, I began having regular, regular men's breakfasts, and I, I, I would get these guys coming to these men's prayer breakfasts that would not come to church, and but they were coming to these prayer breakfasts, and and they, uh, 
and we, we would have breakfast together. We had devotional um, and some prayer and just had a nice time. It was an, I felt like it was an encouraging time. But there was one man in our church who never came to these prayer breakfasts. And, and finally, I was my curiosity got the best of me. And I asked him why he didn't come to these prayer breakfasts. And he said, because they're a farce. Now, I don't know if he actually meant, knew what farce means. But if he did, that's a pretty, pretty rough thing to say. Because if he didn't mean farce, then he meant my attempts to reach people through prayer. It was all fake. It was all a show. There was nothing real to it whatsoever. And that hurt. And so I brought to the Lord, and, and God helped me forgive him and, and to move on. And, and the years went by, and, and his wife passed away. He had a wife that was sick for a long time, and wife passed away. And, and I noticed that her birthday was coming up. And I also knew that he was getting ready to go on a missions trip to go help build some stuff. And so I went and bought him a hammer a brand new hammer to take on as a birthday gift. And so I gave it to him that Sunday. And he said, what is this? And so I explained to him, you know, I knew his wife's birthday was coming up. I wanted to give you a birthday gift. And I hope you can use it on your upcoming trip. And he looked at me and he looked at the hammer and he said, I will accept this. And I smiled and they were good. You see, God had helped me not allow bitterness in my heart and just realize this guy was a little bit different. And I could love him the way where he's at, the way he is. And that made my life a lot easier. In that same church, there were, there were two older elderly men who not long after Missy and I started attending there, I figured out they had a conflict between them that were probably older than we were. It had gone on for decades. But it was clear they didn't like each other. Bitterness had rooted itself deep. And if I'd allow that bitterness to get inside me, that would have been me and the other man for the rest of our time there. I think the Lord, he was able to help me to love him and not be bitter. The third and final uh, poison of condemnation that we're talking about today is self-pity. Writer Gage Lawrence uh, once wrote, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. Ever since the first time I heard that quote, I've always, I've always liked it. It's easy... 
for us to feel sorry for ourselves and our circumstances. Woe is me. Self-pity uh, is, is, is focused inward. It's, you know, something unfair has happened to me. And I, I, I deserve to punish anybody around me because of this unfair thing that has happened to me, even punishing God. But people are, are the only creatures in this world who suffer this. No animal, as the point the writer made, no bird, no animal ever felt sorry for itself. That lesson was brought across uh, from the very popular book, Where's My Who, Who Moved My Cheese? You'll find that book, tiny little book, you'll find that book on any CEO's library, any plant manager, anybody who's high up. In the past 10 years, most likely is going to have a copy of Who Moved My Cheese? It was about this allegory, maybe an allegory, I'd be using the wrong word there, of two men and two mice who ran this maze every day to find cheese, their food for the day. And, and after a while, they figured out, they found where the cheese was, and, and so after a while, they could go right to the cheese. It, just, it was easy, because they knew where the cheese was. And then one day, they got up and went, and, and they were, the cheese was gone. And the men were perplexed. They couldn't believe this. They began to blame each other and, and blame others and, and, and come up with, you know, the reasons why. Why? How could this have happened? And why did it happen? And meanwhile, the mice had just turned around, left, and went searching for cheese and had long found the other, where the cheese moved, got moved to. We waste our energy in our lives uh, 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 feeling sorry for ourselves and we, our circumstances, whether, whatever challenge we face. I've spent a great deal of time studying suffering. Suffering is, is a problem in Christianity. We, we try to explain, you know, books, C.S. Lewis wrote a book on the problem of pain and others have... Um, written wonderful books on it. And I've just come to the conclusion we should stop just trying to figure out why and just trust God. Whatever happens to us, I know I'm in the Lord's hands. Whatever He wills. the antidote for self-pity. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. Give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Not give thanks when things are good, and this is a good thing for you know Thanksgiving's coming up. Not just when things are good, 
but in everything, give thanks. This is a good theme for 2020, right? <laughs> give thanks to God for 2020. Give thanks to God. So the antidote for self-pity is gratitude. And say, Pastor Daryl, I just can't see anything to be grateful for. Then once again, ask God for help. Ask God to help you see. He will show you. And you'll see things you never saw before. Grateful to the Lord. Our, I was just re recently reading a wonderful classic book on, on keeping a mindset of heaven. If we keep, if we have a proper focus in life, if heaven is something that still we're still tracking on, our heart is still with, then every joy is a reminder that one day we're going to experience a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And every pain we suffer is a reminder that one day we're no longer going to suffer any pain. It's going to come to an end. Praise the Lord. And every Sunday is a dress rehearsal for heaven. Someday. May God help us to remove all bitterness, all criticism, and all self-pity from our heart and our life. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.